Probably the most important skill of all is learning how to learn or learning how to learn certain things. So when you're trying to get better at a craft such as songwriting, there are many different ways to learn and to get better at songwriting. And it's important to do some of all of those things. Now, the most important, of course, is to actually just songwrite. The person who is best off, if they're given 100 hours to try to get better at songwriting, probably that person is best off using all 100 hours just songwriting over just listening to a podcast or just watching YouTube videos or just doing this thing we are going to be talking about today, which is how to learn from your favorite artists. This is another tool to add to your how to learn to get better at songwriting toolbox. Yes, I know that's very wordy, but it is important to know how to learn from your favorite artists and the way to break them down and different questions to ask yourself to try to figure out what is it about this artist that resonates with me? Why do I like them? What should I integrate into my own music? Because it's important that you're a songwriter to not just consume music in a way that you're just doing it for enjoyment. It's also important to learn from the things you like as well as the things you don't like. But today we're going to be concentrating on learning specifically from your favorite artists. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I am your host, as always, Joseph Vidala. Happy to have you here with me. Excited to talk about more songwriting because that, of course, is what we do here. Before diving in, if you haven't already, be sure to check out my free guide on 10 different ways to start writing a song, whether you're new to songwriting where, of course, that would be helpful to you, how to start writing a song, right? With especially 10 different ways. Or if you're a seasoned songwriter, it should be helpful either way. I still try to change up the ways I start writing songs because sometimes we find ourselves in ruts, right? Sometimes we're in that position, which I, th I think I'm sort of getting there again, actually, where I've just been doing piano riff after piano riff after piano riff as the way that I start my songs, which is my go-to and is my favorite way to start writing a song is with a piano riff. I've talked about this before, but... Sometimes you start running a little creatively dry if you do the same thing. So then it's time to change it up. Maybe you start instead from the lyrical side of things. Maybe you start with finding a symbol idea that you find very compelling. Maybe you start with a story instead. Or maybe you start with just a different instrument style or a different instrument part. For example, starting with a bass line can be something that is very, very helpful because it's just different, right? It's a different perspective. And it's a great way to change it up. To change where you start your song from can be a great way to break outside of the creative box that you might find yourself in. We all need to do this sometimes. Again, I do think it's good to have a bread and butter, right? A main way to do things, just like we should have a bread and butter sound. But we need to balance coming back to what we're best at, playing to our strengths, but also breaking outside of that box. Because in an ideal world, uh, as, as a, cra a person with any craft is at least average at like all of the things and then specializes in a few things, right? And that's true of probably your day job. It's true of songwriting. It's true of any other art endeavor that you might do, right? Like if you are specifically great at sculpting, it still can be helpful as an artist if you also are good at painting or, you know, average. Like you, you can hold your own, right? Or as a software developer, 
I, I tend to specialize in certain, like I'm really, really good at react, which you don't have to know what that is. It doesn't matter. Um, and then, and then like .NET. Um, but I, I have to be at least decent at the other stuff, right? That's kind of the key in a lot of things because we don't have time to be experts in everything. So anyway, all to say, it's a good thing for you to specialize in certain things, specialize in a certain sound, specialize in, in certain styles of writing or, you know, have that bread and butter. Hey, this is how I tend to start my songs, right? Maybe for you, it's a finger picking guitar arpeggios, right? It's kind of your go-to. That's great. But break outside of that mold sometimes. It can be really helpful. So if you want 10 different ways to start writing a song related to that idea, how you know how to start a song from different standpoints so that you can mix it up creatively, be sure to check out that free guide. Link will be in the description or show notes or whatever the heck we call it. Um, it's a songwritertheory.com slash free guide. So that should be easy to remember. Songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Let's talk about how to learn from your favorite artists. And just as a heads up, this episode is going to have a, a lot of like, I'm going to throw a ton at you. And there's just going to be a bunch of different questions. And the goal is not necessarily that you ask every single one of these questions, because there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of different things we touch on. It might even feel a little chaotic, and that's okay. The point of the episode <clears throat> is for some of these things to resonate with you and for you to go off and, and utilize these things and just to sort of train your brain of like different ways to think about, okay, how do I analyze this music? What, what are the things I should be looking for? So, you know, if maybe you take, let's say you're one of like the three people that actually takes notes uh, during a podcast, which by the way, if you do good on you, I listen to tons of podcasts and I don't do that. So if you do that, first of all, I'm honored. Second of all, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> like that's that's really awesome that that you would uh, take notes. But for the rest of us that that tend to you know listen in the car and you know th the goal should be to glean some information, but we know we're not going to absorb everything. Hopefully, this will be an episode that's worth re-listening to once in a while because you might get something new from it every time. But regardless, my whole point here is simply: Hey, you're not going to learn everything. That's okay. So let's dive in. Let's start simple, right? Is it, do, do the songs tend to be in minor or major keys, right? Like this, this may sound simple and it is simple, but it's an important question to ask, right? Because some, some artists lean towards more major keys and some lean towards more minor keys. And, you know, some might even live in certain modes and we haven't really talked about modes yet. That might be the next episode. If not, it's coming up soon here. But every mode has its own sound. So Phrygian sort of sounds extra dark. It's a little darker than your regular minor key. But, um, and it sort of has an exotic feel to it a little bit. It sort of sounds like something that would be Egyptian or Middle Eastern or something. And it, it has that really cool kind of dark sound. Um, well, it doesn't necessarily need, it, it tends, it tends to be dark. It tends to be like one shade darker than, than a minor key. So like a lot of hard rock bands utilize Phrygian a lot because it sounds awesome and it sounds really dark. So a really like, you know, darker, distorted metal type music tends to use a lot of Phrygian because it's again, even, even darker than your regular minor key. <clears throat> so the artists you like, where, where, where do they sit? 
in things, right? Do they use major keys, but they find a way to make major keys sound a, a little darker? Or maybe they use specifically the Mixolydian mode of the major key, which really just has a flatted seventh, which tends to make it not necessarily darker than a major key, but a little less resoundingly happy. Uh, and Mixolydian, by the way, I, I might have just said this, I don't know, <laughs> but it's, it's just the flatted seventh. So if you ever hear like a one chord, which a one chord is that like home chord, like where you think the song would end on that chord. And then there's a major chord that plays that is clearly one lower than that. That's usually a good sign of Mixolydian. Tends to be used a lot in rock, especially major key rock stuff. Tons and tons and tons of that is in Mixolydian. Has a major seventh chord instead of the diminished seventh chord, which diminished seventh in the context of a major key tends to be useless. But we're not diving to music theory this episode, so we'll leave that alone for now. But the idea is... You know, what, what are the modes or what are the, the keys at least, at least start with is a major or minor? Do they tend to be major or minor? And then, you know, th think about it as like a spectrum of, of light to dark. Where are they on that spectrum, right? Are they way into bubblegum pop? It's, it's so bright that you would imagine the music video would be like just pure bright yellow. <laughs> or is it one where you expect the music video to be something that has like demons crawling out of, out of places and, you know, uh, the, the tones of the music video, as far as video, like the, the video colors are just like black and really, really dark gray. And maybe once in a while they brighten it up a bit and it's like a really dark Brown, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? If you like any hard music, right? Like all, it's all just like, gray and and black colors in the music videos usually and then once in a while maybe it's like red um but these are all things to be thinking about do they use different guitar tunings because if you've experimented with guitar tunings at all and here i know we're diving into a specific instrument a little bit but note that you know most music these days if it's not electronic dominated so some form of edm pop type stuff the tendency still is that the overwhelming amount of music kind of revolves around guitar and even music that tends to be very piano driven like for example even what i what i do tends to be piano driven or you take stuff like from the early 2000s like the fray or uh coldplay or five for fighting or whatever even those artists they tend to have a lot of guitars in the music anyway Guitar is sort of the like, it's just, it's just in everything pretty much. Uh, again, except for now with EDM and current pop, a little less so, but guitar tends to be that like everything instrument where, you know, if your guitar, if your song has a piano, it will definitely usually also have guitars. If your guitar is led by guitar, it's not necessarily true that there will be a piano in it. And I say that as a person who's pretty biased towards piano, I play both, but I, I, I um, I make no bones about, is that, is that the phrase? Is that the right phrase? Anyway, I make it very, I don't even try to hide the fact that I am a, a, a pianist first and foremost, and the piano is my favorite, but different guitar tunings make a huge difference. And an easy way to tell that is if you go to any artist that uses a different guitar tuning. So a great example of this is actually the Goo Goo Dolls. The Goo Goo Dolls, they have almost like a different 
open guitar tuning for like all of their songs. Like all their songs have like different tunings. If you go to a Goo Goo Dolls concert, almost every song, somebody will come out and give Johnny, the lead singer, the who also plays a acoustic guitar, a new guitar every time. Why? Because they're all in different tunings. And different tunings make the guitar sound completely different. It just is makes it sound so, so, so different than what your standard tuning is. And even small adjustments, like my favorite band, Vertical Horizon, they tune their guitars down a half step. And you might say, oh, that's nothing. Y- yeah, kind of. But it does add that little bit more thickness to it. It's just got a little bit lower sound. And you're going to know this too, right? Like, because that's, that's, you know, at least the low note, that's halfway to drop D tuning. Which if you're not a guitarist, uh, the low string, which I know is probably very few of you that I'm talking to here, but bear with me, guitarist. <laughs> um, so a, a normal guitar, right? The low string is tuned to E. Drop D tuning is you keep all the strings tuned the same except for the lowest string, which you down tune to D, which is just down two semitones or one whole tone. So not that much, but it still makes a pretty significant difference. And then a lot of, for example, especially the harder rock you get, there's a tendency to have even more radical down tunings, right? Drop B, where it's dropped all the way down to a B instead of an E, right? That's a, that's a fourth. That's, 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 a, that's a big difference. I've seen as low as drop A. I, I think even drop G sharp, perhaps. And I'm sure there's even lower ones for music that I just don't, don't listen to. I'm sure there's like drop G out there. And, uh, you know, there are some guitars that have like bass strings. It's like a bass and guitar hybrid instrument, right? So then it would be E, the octave lower. So there's all that kind of crazy stuff too. Although at what point do you say to yourself, okay, at, at this point it's literally just a bass guitar. Um, I don't know. But. Different guitar tunings. What what guitars or what uh, different tunings maybe do some of your artists use? Probably the answer is they don't because most just do typical, you know, your regular E standard tuning. Um, but maybe they don't. If they don't, this is an important thing to know, right? Because it makes a difference in how it sounds. And then otherwise... What are some other unique or just semi-different instrumentations or arrangements that they do? Whether that be downtuned guitars like we talked about, or maybe, you know, you have a genre that doesn't normally have an instrument, uh, but they tend to use that instrument, right? So, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's, it's hip-hop, modern hip-hop sounding that uses a lot more real instruments than most modern hip-hop. Or I don't know if country music uses a lot of strings, and by strings I mean like, you know, string quartet type stuff, violin, viola, etc. Um, you know, I again, I don't listen to much country. I totally admit that. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. Is that, is that common? I feel like I can only hear violin in the context of like being played as when one would usually call it a fiddle, because same instrument, really. That's all I can picture, but that might be just my sheer ignorance of country. If so, forgive me. But like, you know, what are some instruments that maybe they use that isn't typical? 
I've talked recently a lot about organ and that I've sort of fallen in love with organ because partially Christopher Nolan, not Christopher Nolan. That's, that's the movie maker. Um, but in interstellar, right. There's a lot of, or I mean, the whole soundtrack is very organ based. And I love that organ is a blend of two things that I personally like, which is it kind of has an epic regal feel. I like, I like epic. I like big sounding. Uh, and also kind of has a darkness to it, which is something that I like. And it's powerful, uh, but it also has like an old school kind of vibe. Not old school, but like uh, old, just straight up old feel, which is I, I like that. So it kind of takes the things I really like about electric guitar and what I really like about piano and puts them together in some ways. So, you know, are there instruments like that in the music that you're listening to that maybe you just never put together like, oh, that's interesting. I don't realize how. You know, I don't hear steel guitar used in rock very often, but my favorite artists actually use steel guitar in rock. That's interesting, right? Maybe this is a factor. And these are all things that are easy to not notice unless you're intentionally looking for these things. So, and then for for guitars, like, do they use layers of guitars? Do they have sparse guitars that when the guitars come in for impact, it, it really is impactful, right? Because if you don't have any electric guitar power chords in your whole song until the end and then just two guitars come in, that's going to be pretty impactful compared to if your whole song is like four layers deep of electric guitars and then you get 10 layers deep for the biggest part of the song. That's a very different way to arrange it. Are, you know, is is it are the songs? There we go. That's that's the right <laughs> are. Ooh, got it. Um, you know, are, are the songs really acoustically driven? Or are they all all very electronic, right? Are they a hybrid? And then, again, if we think in, in terms of spectrums, where is it on the spectrum, right? Is it mostly acoustic with a little bit of electric parts to sort of modernize it? Is it full-on acoustic, right? It sounds like it could have been recorded 60 years ago. Or is it something that is almost entirely electronic where, you know, if you throw an acoustic guitar in, it would be notable because it's like, oh... In all this EDM, and there's a there's an acoustic guitar, right? So all these things are things to note again. And again, there's a whole spectrum here, right? So where where do your favorite artists tend to lie on this spectrum? And you know, this question can be either acoustic or electric for guitars specifically, right? That's a part of this. But really, what I mean by this is electric to acoustic as far as or real instrument versus not real instrument, depending on how you want to put it, as far as the total instrumentation, right? When you hear the music, is it is it dominated by instruments that are played by human beings, like electric guitars and acoustic guitars and piano sounds and strings? And it's okay, by the way, if the strings are really a not real strings, right? The idea is, does it sound like this would be mostly played by real humans on a stage, this song, or does it sound like something that would be machines? Where is it on that spectrum, right? How, and then how, the, the tones of the individual instruments. We'll use guitar again because it's an easy example. You know, just because it's a, a rock band, not all rock bands, even close, right? First of all, rock is a huge genre that's basically meaningless. Most genre names are kind of meaningless, honestly, because usually they're too big and... You know, uh, really, it just generally categorizes by by sound. Just because you like one doesn't mean you like the other. I feel like genres just get more useless over time. But 
beyond that, right, there's, there's a wide variety in how one can use different sounds, even in the context of the same genre, in songs that seem like they would be similar or sound similar if you're just kind of passively listening to them. But when you dive in, like, is it mostly overdriven guitars or distorted guitars? Do they layer distorted, overdriven, and clean guitars all together to create this giant wall of sound? Is it... Do you notice when you dive in, like, wow, actually, I can't really hear distortion in these guitars, but they still feel really thick and really big, right? Maybe, Maybe it's some overdrive kicked in there. Maybe... You know, maybe they're using a lot of reverb to kind of make give them a bigger sound. But again, these are all important things because a distorted guitar and an overdriven guitar, these all sound very different. Another question that might seem kind of random, but is the bass loud? Can you barely tell it's there? Does the bass function as a separate instrument from the electric guitars where it's doing a totally different part that you can... You know, pick out like, oh, there's the bass and here's the guitars doing something totally different. Or does the electric guitar function as an extension or or sorry, does the bass guitar function as an extension of the electric guitars, right? There are some songs and some artists that predominantly do this. And, you know, to be clear, most artists, it's a mixture of both. So something key to do here is you're really looking at your favorite songs from your favorite artists, right? And seeing the tendencies, There's not going to be a clear answer here, right? Most of the time. Some of these, there might be a clear answer. Like their whole thing might be, you know, they use steel guitar and really hard rock music. Or, you know, maybe you really like the sound of, say, a star set, where they're very much sort of a Breaking Benjamin post-grunge type sound, but they also very much utilize a lot of EDM type sounds, a lot of electronic sounds, in a way that it feels like a perfect hybrid of EDM. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'd call it EDM, but electronic and hard rock. Whereas most tend towards one side of the spectrum or the other, but Star Set really feels like it. it's like a true rock band. I don't know if it's right in the middle, but not really the point, right? Again, spectrums here, tendencies. So back to the bass thing. Sometimes you'll notice that if you listen to the guitars of the song, the bass guitar is hard to or impossible to kind of pick out from the guitars. You just think there's li- there's just this guitar noise and it feels really big. And the bass guitar is very much blended into what the electric guitars are doing so that it's almost functioning as one big thing. And then there are other times where the bass line is doing something totally different than the electric guitars. It's very easy to pick out. Those two styles are both very valid, but but they're different and they make a difference in the sound. You know, so, sometimes some songs will fit one better than the other, but these are things to pick out and notice about the music that you like. Which one does it tend to be? Like sometimes I, I tend to really like when, because I love big, huge guitars that are just layered. So I kind of like the idea of the bass guitar sort of operating as an extension to make the electric guitars even thicker rather than doing its own bass line. A lot of times, a lot of times I don't too. But again, these are things to listen to, to pick out so that you can figure out for yourself what what of these things maybe you like, what what it is your artists are doing that may or may not relate to why it is you really like them. And then vocal style, right? Is it very nasal, right? Do they sing like this? Is it very, hey, yeah, right? <laughs> like, I know that I way overdid that, but 
you know, is it very punk like in the, the very nasal or does it use a lot of grit? Right. Is, is there a lot of this going on? It's 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 a guy acting really tough. Right. Like, is, is it that or is it a clean tone with a lot of bite? Right. Like it like it, it, it feels harsh, but technically it's it's clean. There's there's technically no grit. Right. Um, Because, again, these things make a lot of difference because. You may take for granted, oh, oh, it's a hard rock song. It must be very gritty. But there are a lot of hard rock singers that are great hard rock singers that don't use much grit. They just do a clean tone, but they use a lot of bite instead, which for me personally is something that I prefer that over the grit, like the, 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 I, I hate to bring up Nickelback here, but like, frankly, the Nickelback sort of sound of like lots, lots of grit, um, I, I tend to prefer the cleaner sounds with a lot of bite. I like bite in the notes, maybe not grit. Again, your artists, what is it you tend to like? Because to some extent, we need to... Actually, let's just, let's, let's just clear this up real quick. This is a good aside. All voices are put on to some extent. So I, I, sometimes you hear criticism, right, of certain people that are like, oh, that's a put on voice. And usually that's really what they're saying is that's an extra put on voice. That's really obviously something that they came up with, right, where it's just totally different. Where it's like, OK, your speaking voice is nothing like that. You clearly like like created this voice off to the side. But all voices are that just to differing levels, right? We all do this. And it's an important thing to do is sort of figure out your vocal style. And a great way to do that is listening for these things from your favorite artists, right? Do they tend to be nasal? Do they use a lot of grit? Are they clean with bite? You know, are they a tenor, a baritone, a bass? If you're a female, or alto or soprano, you can't change those things, right? If you're a tenor, baritone, or bass, you can't really change those things. If you're a bass, you're a bass. If you're a baritone, you're a baritone. If you're a tenor, you're a tenor. Now, when I say that, I mean like what your natural range is, right? Like your speaking voice. So you can probably tell from my speaking voice, but by nature, I am a baritone, right? I don't talk up like, like I have a couple friends that are tenors, like true tenors, and they tend to talk up sort of up, up here, right? Like just by, just by nature, normally, right? I, I have to force myself up there because my natural range is more like down here. This is my normal talking voice. Um, so, and then, and then, you know, you have some friends maybe that talk like this and they're, they're really low in their ba- maybe not that low, but um, also my voice is tired, so I cannot do that well right now. But you know what I'm talking about, right? So that's that's sort of your true what you are, right? But that doesn't mean you can't have the range of a tenor, right? Just because you're a baritone doesn't mean like, oh, I guess I can't have tenor high C. Of course you can, right? You, you need to train yourself to get there. Uh, but frankly, a tenor high C out of, say, a bass singing it is going to sound way more rich and epic than a tenor singing it, frankly. A tenor would need to go higher in order to sort of match that from a bass, on average. So my point is, to, first of all, all, all voices are put on to some extent. That's okay, so get past that idea. Because it's going to be important and something we're about to cover. Second of all, yes, you can't change sort of your true voice type, can't might be a strong word. You're not going to, right? If you're an alto, you're an alto. If you're a soprano, you're a soprano. But that doesn't mean that you can't 
use different stylings to darken or brighten your voice based on what you like. So let's say you're a soprano and you realize that all your favorite female vocalists are altos, right? They, they sort of have a richer, lower voice. You can't change your voice, nor should you, as far as like, you know, you're a soprano. You, you are what you are vocal-wise. If, you, if, you te- if even your talking voice is up there, that's, that's what it is, right? But you can learn to darken your voice that it almost emulates more of the sound you like from your favorite altos. And it's important, you know, to not go too far with this. You do want to stick to what you naturally are. You want to play to your strengths. We've talked about this. But but you can do things to darken or brighten your voice, to really lean into the lower registers of your voice or the higher registers of your voice. If you're a baritone that wants to sort of emulate a tenor a little bit more, you can brighten up your voice more. So... An important part of this, going along with this idea of the first the first point here, which is that all voices are somewhat put on, make sure to sing along with your favorite artists and try to, emu- to emulate them, to figure out how they get their sound. That's the best way to figure it out. Uh, imp- impressions. You'll notice that a lot of singers tend to be good impressionists, whether they are doing impressions of other singers or uh, even like voice impressions of characters from movies or actors or something like that. Why is that? Well, because it's, it's kind of all connected, right? Learning how to do different sounds, learning how to talk out of your nose a little bit more or talk, you know, get dark in your voice. Like learning how to do those type of things are things that can be helpful, probably not to that extreme, but in, in your vocalizing. So something just to use myself as an example, because an easy one to do, I spent a lot of time singing along with my favorite artists, emulating them, and then the voice that ends up being what is my voice, right? I can see some reflections of things I've learned from singing along with and trying to emulate some of my favorite artists, right? Like some some artists, I might be like, oh, I really like the way they get bite out of their clean voice. And I've emulated that enough that I can add that tool to my singing voice, right? I have other, you know, really rich baritone vocalists that I really like and listen to and have sung along with. And that helps teach me how to really get the darkness out of my voice, really, really get that lower baritone and and lean into the baritone part of my voice. These are all things that you should be doing. Sing along with your favorite artists, not just in your voice. Try to emulate them. That's a great way to then take what you're learning from emulating them and integrate it into your own sound because, look, all voices are somewhat put on. They just are. That's okay. So moving on from that, what's their lyric writing style, right? What do they, what do they write about? And again, we're going to talk spectrums, right? Where on the dark light spectrum are they? Are they cup half full? cup half empty, right? That's sort of in the middle, right? Or are they, you know, just devastated all the time and 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 just deep into the the dark side of things? Or is everything super poppy and happy? Not that it necessarily has to be poppy to be happy, um, but for whatever reason, that's what I hear in my head. But, you know, where are they on that spectrum? Maybe most of the artists that you like tend to be you know, cup half full, 
So there's there's hope and and they see the brighter side of things. But admittedly, they're still tackling things that are not just bright and happy. They just have a lot of hope in that. Or maybe you like cup half empty where, you know, similar situation. They tend to have a darker look on that. Right. They, They lean towards light isn't at the end of the tunnel. Or maybe you like a hybrid, right? Something that's on the darker side of things, but you do still see the light at the end of the tunnel. Where on the darkness spectrum is this music that you really like? Really dark, really light, somewhere in the middle? Where? And you can even like draw this, right? Take your five favorite artists, make a spectrum, put some clarifying things in of like, okay, what do I think is exactly the middle? What do I think is the epitome of light? or bright, or, you know, however you want to see it, or dark, right? And then put them on the spectrum. Try to figure out where they are. Do do these artists tend to, in their lyric writing, use heavy symbolism? And by heavy, I mean be heavy on symbolism, use a lot of symbolism? Or do they tend to be light on symbolism? Maybe they have, like, one symbol that that they sort of use in the context of the song, and the rest is mostly just, you know, mostly factual narrative stuff. Or do they tend to have like one really important symbol that everything in the song revolves around, um, but it really is only one symbol per song? And then there are some artists, right, where every single line is symbolic. I'm looking at you really hard rock, right? The the tendency I've noticed is the harder rock it becomes, the more it dives into so symbolic that at some point you are like, I have no idea what this song is about. I know the guy's not happy. I know the girl's not happy. But... (laughs) I have no idea what about because they're talking about like draining the sun and the dark clouds in your your bloodless eyes or I I don't know, like really dark stuff. That's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, So where on the spectrum are they for that? Right. Like like if, if you're to see it as, you know, the sky, is it a blue sky that you can see clearly, you know exactly what the song's about, or is it kind of cloudy, right? You can see the sun behind the clouds, you can see the blue sky still, but it's a little cloudy, it's a little hazy, it's a little vague. Or is it like totally vague, like full storm clouds, you'd forget that the sky was blue if you were born today, right? To- totally vague what the song is really about. Where on that spectrum is it? Is it heavier light on specific details, right? Some some lyricists tend towards being really, really specific about, you know, her blue eyes and her 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 dark brown hair and 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 her pale complexion and stuff. Whereas others tend towards being super vague, where even even you know the 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 person's sex is completely left out of it, right? Like to the point that it could be a male singing to a female, female singing to a male or any other combination of whatever. And it it is totally vague. Right. Or maybe they just keep it you know, somewhere in the middle. Once in a while, they'll make reference to like the ocean in your eyes, which implies blue eyes. Uh, but then they kind of pause there. Right. How specific do they tend to go? Do they use sarcasm? Do their set, the songs seem to come mostly from sadness or anger or joy? Where like where, where where's the main emotion that it seems they have when they sit down to write? What emotion is it they come from? Right? Are they driven by anger? Are they driven by a chip on their shoulder? Sadness? Joy? Vigor for life? What what, what what's at the, the core? Do they use cultural references or not? Right. Do they, they make pop culture references? Hopefully the answer is no. 
<laughs> We've talked about my opinion on that. Side tip, it is totally fine, of course, to, I'm not pretending like that's an objective thing, right? Let me just make that very clear. If you use pop culture references, that's fine. But just note, pop culture references will make sure that your song is not timeless. Okay, there are certain things you could reference, like Romeo and Juliet, for example. And no, this is not a pro Taylor Swift thing I'm saying. It just happened to fall into that. But that doesn't count, right? That's not pop culture anymore. That's just like Western culture, period. Right? Like at this point, Romeo and Juliet is is so in the culture, it's like a reference to, you know, uh, you know, God or Jesus or something, where it's like it everybody knows what you're talking about. It's not really a cultural thing anymore. Whereas Jay-Z, a reference to Jay-Z or Britney, in 10 years might be totally irrelevant. People might be like, oh, Jay-Z, who the heck is that? What are you even talking about? Right? Who who knows who that is? Who cares? You know, or I, I heard a song. I love Shark Tank. Okay, just to just be told, I love Shark Tank. But I heard a song recently that referenced Shark Tank. And I thought to myself, as much as I love Shark Tank, give it like, first of all, most of the nation probably still doesn't really know what Shark Tank is. Maybe that's not true. But I assume if you're not in the United States, you definitely don't know what Shark Tank is. Maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this. But regardless, I think in 10, 20 years, nobody's going to know what Shark Tank is. So in 20 years, when somebody's listening to the song, they're going to be like, Shark Tank, what is that? Like, they're, they're picturing actual sharks in a tank. They're like, that's an interesting analogy that doesn't seem to work. Because there's a pop culture reference. So just note that if you want your t- songs to be timeless, probably stay away from pop culture stuff. That's all I'll say on that. So, uh, you know, do they curse in their songs? If so, does it add to the song or does it take away, right? There are some artists I like, except that I think they curse too much. I don't think it adds to the song. I think it takes away from the song. Full disclosure, I tend to be a person that thinks that uh, you could call you could say that I'm somewhat. And again, this is just my personal. So you don't have to care. You shouldn't care. But, you know, the the idea is you need to figure out for yourself where you are on this. Right. Are you in the Jerry Seinfeld school of thought, which is like Jerry has fully admitted that he thinks it is superior to have clean comedy because it's not like a, a, a crutch. Right. If you can be funny without using a bunch of swears, then great. I, I sort of see it the same way for songwriting. Most of the time, you should be able to use really good evocative words without having to curse. So then d- don't do it. But again, that's my take, right? Maybe you think, okay, the, the curses that my artist uses, they use a lot of them, but they all make sense and they all add to it and they give it bite, right? Saying F you, frankly, you know, at the actual word, over screw you just has a different vibe, right? Like, like what one of those has some bite to it, and the other one just is kind of like, oh, okay, whatever, um, probably. So, thinking about those sorts of things, and then specifically, really lean into the parts that give you goosebumps or make your face feel warm. If you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you just feel it so much that your your like cheeks get red. Uh, and you feel something, right? What causes it? Is it the melody? Is it the arrangement, right? Did the song just explode? Did a certain instrument come in um, that has a certain melodic line to it? Is it a certain lyric that makes you feel that way? And then, like, find out what it actually is. And if you can't figure out the melodic intervals or the chord progression 
or whatever it is that you realize, oh, there's something about this chord progression. There's something about that transition from this chord to this chord that just like I feel it just I love it. Um, try to figure out what that is. And if you can't figure it out by ear, look up the sheet music. I do this all the time. Look up the sheet music or look up the, you know, go to like guitar. What's it called? Guitartabs.com or guitar, I don't know how I'm forgetting this right now. You know what I'm talking about if you're a guitarist, right? That the one website that has all the like guitar tabs that admittedly are made by random people. So they may or may not be accurate. So what you do is if you look up the guitar tabs or the guitar chords, play along with the song to make sure they're right. And if not, keep searching for the one that's actually accurate to the song to make sure, like, don't just trust what some, you know, what guitar lover 72 put put on the website right like verify it to make sure that it is what what you think it is try to figure out like what what is that chord transition right was it was it a three chord to a six chord that that made you feel that way that is like wow i i haven't used that but i really like that or you know maybe it's a, a melodic interval Maybe the singer goes up a minor sixth and it just kills you. It just it just feels so right. And then you figure out, okay, they went up a minor sixth and then the chord transition underneath that, the harmonic context is, is you know, let's say a one chord to a four chord or something. Figuring out like, okay, that's something that I like. I wonder what it is about that I like. Let me see if I can try to integrate that interval into my song. Maybe it's the chord progression. Maybe it's the guitar tone, right? Find out what creates those moments for you that you just really feel it. And then also Google things, right? If there are interviews where the artist explains how they get their sound, try to find them, right? I get, we'll go back to Vertical Horizon because they're my favorite artists. Um, I, I've looked up probably every interview they've ever done. And I've watched them on YouTube and I've read the articles and some of these are by random papers and random. It doesn't matter because I'm looking for all the information of how they got that guitar sound, how he writes his music. Right? I'm looking for all of that information. And, you know, each interview usually t comes out with one little tidbit of information that's like, oh, OK, that's interesting. And because I love the artist so much, I want to know what these things are so that I can figure out how it affects their music and if it's something I want to integrate into mine. And just to add to my knowledge and toolbox of, of what I know I can do and what things have certain sounds and how, you know, artists get certain sounds that I like. Right. Or, or find a YouTube breakdown of the song. These exist. There's plenty of YouTubers out there. Uh, I don't really do this yet. Um, I have a couple that are sort of like this up on the YouTube channel. But um, there are some people out there, right, that that do breakdowns of of, of songs. A great example of this um, is Rick Beato. Rick Beato is fantastic at this. So go look up Rick Beato's breakdown of the song, especially if you don't want a lyrical breakdown because he, he doesn't really dive into the lyrics. But when it comes to music, that guy is a freaking stud. Uh, Rick Beato is amazing. And... And entertaining and awesome. If you don't know who Rick Beato is, go go check him out. But um, anyway, he he breaks down the song and explains to you what's going on and the music theory behind it, right? So go find breakdowns. Find the karaoke tracks of the songs that you like just so that you can get an idea of 
because because the vocal is so hot in pretty much every mix, and by hot I mean loud, right? That it's so easy to miss most of the background music, and you don't realize how much you're missing until you listen to the karaoke version of the song. You're like, wow, all this is in here? I just kind of like hear noise and then the person singing. And I didn't realize to what extent I mostly heard noise and the person singing until I heard the song without the lead singer in it anymore. Karaoke tracks can be a great way to listen to the arrangement and not be distracted by the lead vocal, which tends to be very, very loud in the mix and cover up a lot of stuff. And then lastly, just find the overlap between your favorite artists, right? So I think I've talked about this before in a podcast, but, you know, figure out your five favorite artists, maybe your five favorite songs from those artists, and really, like, do an exercise on trying to figure out sort of these these questions and then whatever questions I talked about then, trying to dive into what is it I like about these artists? Where do these artists meet? Because for some of us, it might be genre, right? Maybe all of your favorite artists, it's just you really love the sound of post-grunge or something, or you really love EDM. That may be true, but even if all your five favorite artists happen to be EDM, that might not actually be why you like them. So don't take for granted that it's a genre thing. Um, Because I know for me particularly... If I listed like my top 10 artists, they're all vaguely in the rock realm, but I would really like, I I don't think I like rock and I don't mean I dislike rock. What I'm saying is when I sort of did this exercise and figure out what is it about these artists I like and combined it with what we're going to talk about in a future episode, probably the next episode, um, is what we can learn from artists we don't normally like, where there's just sort of one-off songs from them we really like and we don't like the rest, because I think there's a lot we can learn from those artists, um, And one of those things is we can learn, you know, that maybe we took for granted. Oh, of course, the reason I like this artist is, you know, they're post-grunge sounding. And then there's another post-grunge band where you hate, like, all their music. And it's like, well, wait a second. All of the markers of a band that I would like, according to my hypothesis that I like them based on their sound, would tell me I would like this artist, and yet I don't. So perhaps my hypothesis is wrong, right? And I I think a lot of times people assume it's genre more so than it is. And maybe it's something where you don't like any music that doesn't sound like it's vaguely EDM, for example. Um, But really, when you decide who your favorite artists are, it might be a requirement, a prerequisite that they be EDM, but them being EDM is not why you like them, which explains why you don't like a bunch of other EDM artists. Or you like other ones less, right? So even if you feel like it's mostly a genre you like, it might not be. Don't take that for granted. And a great way to sort of dive in and figure that out is do this exercise on some of your favorite artists. Really try to figure out, like, what is it really? What are all the different parts that I like about this artist? And again, the goal here is to integrate it into your own music, not necessarily knowingly. You certainly can knowingly. But again, just gaining knowledge about what makes things sound like certain things, right? Like when you realize that, oh, that extra dark, slightly exotic sound that I really like from that hard rock artist is because they use the Phrygian mode, right? All of a sudden light bulbs go off and you're like, huh, I was wondering why it sounded so much cooler than a regular minor key song. I keep writing all my songs in minor key, but it doesn't have that cool, exotic, really dark feel that I like. Like what the heck? Or you know, maybe there's there's a certain uh, neutral sounding song that 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 
that you can't quite put your your fingers on what it is about it that allows it to balance the bright and dark so well. And then you find out, oh, it's in, it's in Dorian mode. And I don't know why I'm talking about just modes now after, after everything we just talked about. But uh, probably as a preview of the fact that we're going to be talking about modes here soon. But um, and, and this is going to be true of all these questions we asked. Right. What what are the things? What are the markers of things that we like in songs? What are the things we can take away from our favorite artists? How can we learn from our favorite artists? Not just consume them, not just listen to them. How do we learn from them? Let's try to glean all the knowledge we can from our favorites. Because the reality is, if you're going to become a filmmaker, you should study how your favorite filmmakers make films. Right. If you're a huge Nolan fan, as if you've been a listener for a while, you know I am, um, then, you know, maybe you should know how Nolan gets his crap done, given that he's your favorite filmmaker and you want to make films, right? Or if you want to write some YouTube videos and to you the funniest show of all time is, uh, say, Seinfeld, diving into, okay, how does Seinfeld, how does Larry David write their jokes, right? Watch the show to figure out what to, how do they... How do they set up for the punchline? What are the what's the what are the rhythms of the humor? We got to do the same thing for music. Figure out our heroes, our favorites, how they do what they do, so that we can integrate it and learn from them and integrate that into our own music. So I hope this was helpful to you. If it was, again, best way you can help me out is leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts. I've been saying it right for a while now. I feel like awesome. <laughs> Woo, go me. Um, just kidding, but, um, it's really sad, isn't it? How long I was like iTunes, like it's not iTunes idiot. Um, but anyway, now that I've called myself an idiot, if you can take the five minutes to go leave a kind eye to, oh, I just did it again. <laughs> Apple, Apple podcast review. That'd be greatly appreciated. I really appreciate all of you who have taken the time to do that. It's a great way to help me out. Um, if you have learned something from this content, from this podcast, that is a great way to give back to me. And I really appreciate that you, that some of you have taken the five, 10 minutes, however long it took you to do that. You've written some incredibly nice things. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that. It's a great place for me to go to get encouragement if I'm ever feeling, you know, feeling down or if I need some motivation to like make another podcast, right? Cause we, we, we all have imposter syndrome sometimes, right? Um, and just so you all know, you know, kind reviews and stuff like that is not only does it help to, to get more people to be like, oh, this podcast is probably helpful. And then they give it a chance. Uh, beyond that, it also is something that that um, helps me out. Right. Because we're all human. We all we all sometimes need to hear uh, some nice things. We need to hear that what we're doing is making a difference. Right. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. We're all human here. Um, so anyway. Thank you to all of you who have done that. If you haven't, please do. If you feel you can give five stars, if you feel like you can, again, email me, joseph at songwritertheory.com. Let me know how I can improve, how I can how I can earn five stars from you, because I don't want you to give it five stars if, like, don't lie, right? But also <laughs> try not to tank the rating, please, please. Um, but last thing, again, if you haven't already, pick up the 10 different ways to start writing a song. It's a songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Great way to get started with songwriting. Great way to uh, sort of keep mixing it up so that you don't get creatively stuck. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you 
in the next episode.